up yourself to all that God has to offer you. There's, there's things in that, that he can do that, that just feel right. They feel good. You, you leave the place feeling rested of, of sorts. Maybe if it's a, a shout down service and you're dancing all over the place and this is a Pentecostal church and that does happen every once in a while where we, where we're dancing and, and giving God praise. Amen. Just as they did in scripture. And you might leave the place feeling uh, a little bit physically exhausted, but you still feel a rest in your spirit, right? Amen. We ought to have some of that a little bit more often, I think. Amen. Where you leave this place physically exhausted from giving everything to God, and it's not always just in juking and jiving and dancing, but sometimes it's pouring yourself out, pouring your heart out at an altar, and you leave it feeling spent, but yet there's a a supernatural rest that's upon you. And I just want to want to speak here for a little while on finding rest for your soul. Finding rest for your soul. Man, I, I've, I've felt that, that burden be lifted off of me at times. Perhaps you have you have come in, in days or in times past, or maybe it's even a day with a burden, and you you feel like you're carrying a weight around with you, and and you can come with that burden, and when you come and you lay it at the feet of Jesus Christ, He says that I can take that burden, and you can feel some rest, real rest. You can feel like it's just a load that's lifted off of you. That's, that's probably the, uh, the, the most common, uh, common, uh, answer that I get when I ask somebody after they've been baptized, you know, how do you feel? What, what does it feel like? And, you know, now, now that you have been baptized, you've had every sin washed away, and they say, I feel so light. I feel so good. I feel, come on, because the, the weight of sin has been taken off. It's not, baptism is not joining a church. It's not a membership uh, necessity. It's, it's, that's not what baptism is. It is. It is the obedience to the scripture that says that you must be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Why? For the remission of your sins. So that you can have your sins taken away. I'm thankful, come on, that Jesus Christ died on a cross because that gave me access to the possibility of having my sins washed away. But just because he died on a cross doesn't mean that I get to freely have access to that just by him doing it. I must then obey the scripture that says, okay, I have died for your sins. Now you in obedience died to your flesh and you are buried in baptism. And when you come out, you become a new man, a new person. Well, I, there is nothing that feels so good as having your sins washed away. If you can, amen, if you can attest to that, would you just put your hands together right now? I remember for me, it was at a young age. I was just seven years old and near, nearing eight, and, and I felt that call. I had grown up on a, on a church pew or church, uh, 
church seats, and, and God got a hold of me at, a, at an early age, and, and I felt that call, that need to be baptized in Jesus' name, and I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful, I've been thankful every day of my life, amen, that I can still, amen, when not only was baptized, but then a week later, that he filled me with his precious gift of the Holy Ghost, amen, and I have his spirit with me. Come on, there is something so refreshing about that spirit. There is something that you can just enter into his rest. Before I really get into what I, what I want to today, I want to First, just lay some foundation of a very important principle that comes at the beginning of this chapter that, uh, that we read. It's in Matthew chapter 11. And I'm going to just read a few verses here at the beginning of that chapter, beginning in verse 2. It says, Now when John had heard in the prison the works of Christ. Now, this is, this is John the Baptist. This is not the John that wrote the Gospel of John, but this is the, the cousin of Jesus, the one who... Uh, was the, the prophet who prepared the way for the coming of Jesus. He was a crazy man, uh, absolutely crazy, uh, and, and that uh, he, he dressed himself in camel skins, which uh, today would be really off the wall, but it was even off the wall then. That wasn't the natural, the, the normal attire of the day. Uh, it says that he ate locusts, and he just lived out in the wilderness, and he was out preaching and had a very strong message that he preached. He stirred some things up. He was, he was out at the Jordan River when he began his ministry, about 30 years old, and, and he started, started preaching this message of repentance, and he's, he's getting a crowd, a crowd of people are, are coming to him and hearing this message, and they're being convicted in themselves. There's something in them that, that is, uh, is, um, feeling the, the weight of their, their decisions and the way that they've lived. And, and he's saying, he's saying, hey, he didn't have a Bible like this to hold up, but he, he still had the word of God, the, the law. And he's saying, hey, look, you need to get yourselves right. You need to line yourselves up to this. You've gotten too far away from what God has called you to. You are the people of God. Repent. Prepare ye the way of the Lord. Repent. Come on, there's something greater that's in store. There's something greater that's coming. So repent. And he's preaching this crazy guy just down at the Jordan River. Preaching away. And he gets these crowds that come and, and he, he starts baptizing them. He says it's a baptism unto repentance. In other words, it's a a washing away of, of, of some things in your past and saying, I'm becoming out a, you know, a new person that is going to dedicate my life to pers- the pursuit of all that God has for me. And so, and so he is drawing this crowd. And because of that, he had some disciples that had, had come to him. Just like Jesus had disciples, John the Baptist had disciples. Now at this point, at this point it says that John... Had heard in the prison the works of Christ. So now, right now, in, in this portion of Scripture, John is no longer preaching on the banks of the Jordan River, but rather he's been thrown in prison. Not because he had stole something or killed somebody or done uh, done anything of that sort, but rather because he was preaching and and the people, the, the religious people didn't like it and Herod thought that he could gain favor with them and so he threw him into a prison. So John, waiting there in a prison, 
hears of all these things of Jesus Christ. Now, remember, John the Baptist is the only individual that we know of, that Scripture would tell us of, that, that received the Holy Ghost before he was even born. It was, this is, this is Jesus' cousin. It was Mary, her cousin, uh, Elizabeth, her aunt, uh, Elizabeth, who, uh, who would, she went to visit her, and it says when the two of them were pregnant, that Mary uh, came to her, and, and it says in Scripture that inside of Elizabeth's belly, the, the baby just leapt, and it says, it tells us that it was filled, he was filled with the Holy Ghost. I, I, I don't know exactly how that happens, but God, God said it, so I believe it. And so when he came, he, I believe, had full knowledge of who it was that, or who, or who Jesus Christ really was. From a very, very early age, John knew who Jesus was. He knew that his ministry was not to bring glory and honor to him, but it was to set Jesus up for the beginning of his ministry. He was the one that is spoken of in, in Malachi 3, where it says that there's going to be a prophet who will come and, and prepare the way of the Lord. And, and John the Baptist was the prophet that would prepare the way for Jesus to come onto the scene. And so that's what John the Baptist was doing. He was preparing the way for Jesus to come. And so because of all of this, we have John now in prison, knowing who Jesus is. He's the one who, who declared that Jesus was the one that everyone was searching for when he baptized Jesus. He said, out of his mouth, I baptize you in the water, but there's one that cometh after me that will baptize you with the Holy Ghost and fire. There's one greater than I whose shoes I am unworthy to unloose. He, he recognized his place in this relationship. And yet, when he's there in prison, he hears about all the works of Jesus Christ. Some of his disciples who have access to him, uh, they, they come and, and he sends two of those disciples. And he, he says, says unto them, art thou he? Or he tells them to, to go to Jesus and to ask, art thou he that should come? Or do we look for another? I just told you all that about John. John knew. That Jesus was the Christ. That was the, that was the whole purpose of his ministry. Was to set up Jesus. As, as, to be able to start his ministry as the Messiah. As the one that would take away the sins of the world. And yet he's questioning some things in his mind. He's sitting there in prison. I don't know the length of time. I don't know how long it had been he'd been in prison. But it had been long enough that he was thinking through some things. And he says, I don't know now. I'm questioning some things. So Jesus, he answered, he sent this, this answer with the disciples of, of John to go and, and bring it back to him. He says, go and show John again those things which you do hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk. The lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. Whew. Now, you hear that, and I get a little bit excited, 
to know that Jesus has done all those things, right? I get excited about hearing those reports. But imagine yourself in John's position. Tell them Jesus sends the disciples of John back to him. Go and tell them that I'm out here. You're seeing it being done. The lame are walking. The lepers are being cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised up. The poor are having the gospel preached to them. Oh, yeah, and you're still in prison. The captives can be set free. All these things can be done. You're still in prison. And there's something in John that's, that's, I'm sure, questioning inside of him. Well, if he can do this for all of them, why can't he do it for me? And we see this. We see this, the very last statement that Jesus makes in verse 6. He says, and blessed is he whosoever shall not be offended in me. See, offense always comes before deception. Jesus puts this in there in speaking to John. He, he knows the thoughts. He knows the things that John is going through. And he's saying, John, don't be offended by the fact that this is not happening for you. Just because Jesus hasn't done it for you doesn't mean that he can't do it. Just because he hasn't healed you doesn't mean that he can't heal anymore. Come on. Come on, somebody. Just because he hasn't freed you yet from your situation doesn't mean that he's not able to do it. Don't lose hope in Jesus Christ. Don't, don't, do not disqualify. Come on, what Jesus Christ can do just because you haven't yet seen it in your life. God's timing is always perfect. And no, and God, He always knows what He's doing. And John, He ends up giving His life in that prison. He is beheaded for the sake of Jesus Christ. He didn't see it come through for Him. But Jesus is saying, don't be offended. I don't you want to, don't want you to be offended because I don't want deception to come in. I don't want you to be deceived and to think that I am not who you know I am. You've spent enough time with me. You have my spirit. You have all these things that you know deep down inside that I am who you think I am, who you know I am. Don't be offended. I do not want you to be deceived. Well, just don't get offended. Come on, offense always precedes deception. There are so many people who they get offended by some small thing that has happened to them in the church and it leads them down this path where they fall into deception in these lies of the enemy just because of one little offense that they allowed to take root in their life and then all of a sudden they're at a place just years down the line where they never thought that they would be because they allowed offense to set in. They got offended at God. Sometimes you get offended at a person and maybe you can get over that. But there's other times you get offended at God because you're like, God, why did I have to go through this? Why did I have to face this? And you get offended and there's something that can set in and you start to be deceived. And the enemy has a, has a doorway that's been opened to him for deception to be able to take root. Cannot allow offense to come in. In fact, Jesus, he... he 
just following this, after he d- dispatches the disciples back to John, he tells the crowd that's gathered there, he, he, he says, don't you think that John's in prison because he's done something wrong? In fact, he is the greatest prophet who has ever lived. This man is the greatest prophet who has ever walked the face of this earth. He is the one. Why do you think they're going down to the Jordan River to look? You think they're going there to look at the swaying reeds? No, they're going there because there is a man that's crying out a voice in a wilderness that's saying, repent, prepare the way of the Lord. God is trying to set you up for some way that is going to be completely different, a totally different lifestyle. He's trying to move you in, trying to move you into a place where you can understand that God is trying to do something new in you. Come on, he's got something new. He's trying, he's got a fresh start for something in your life. Come on, John is the greatest prophet, not just come on, because he did the greatest miracles. You can see greater miracles recorded in scripture from Elijah, come on, Moses, all these, come on, many men in the Old, Te- Old Testament. You can see some great miracles that they've done. But yet Jesus says John is the greatest of them. Because John is ushering in something completely new. He goes, if you follow through that chapter, he, Jesus, in, in speaking, begins to talk about some cities that he had gone into in, in verse 20. And he, he just starts talking about these cities that he had uh, gone into. And, and he just kind of starts tearing them apart because they're unbelief. He says, woe to you. Woe to you cities that, uh, that, that were unbelieving. And, and you're the ones that you, you, you're offended and, and you're allowing deception to come in. And, and, and so... He starts uh, talking to them. He says, your end is going to be the same as it was for Sodom. But then he comes at the end of this chapter of what we read and begins talking about rest. He's trying to usher in something new. Something new, brand new is being ushered in. Come on, God is, God is trying to wake somebody up here today to say, God, I want to experience something that I've never experienced before. God can give you rest like you have never experienced before. God can settle your spirit. He can give you rest for your soul like you have never known before. And you have battled and you're battling still today. Come on, this, you have this struggle that's going on and you, you, you're weary and you're tired and God's saying, come to me and I will give you rest. And you've experienced that. I'm sure that maybe, probably even today, you've already experienced some of that rest when you come into the presence of God. When I felt it already in this place, when I walked in, I could feel the presence of God. Early this morning when I came into this place, come on, God is already here and I can already feel His sweet presence in this place. Come on, when I woke up this morning, I could feel the sweet presence of God. Come on, He can give you rest when you come to Him. He says, come unto me. It's verse 28, come unto me, all you that labor are heavy laden and I will give you rest I venture to say that there are many millions of people who have experienced that kind of rest many millions of people who have come to God and experienced the rest that God can give them it's 
that awful day that you've had, and you come to God and He says, find rest in me. It's that drug addict that somehow made his way into a service, and he was there, and he was still high, but yet he felt the rest one that only God could give because he felt, come on, the very spirit of God move into that place. Come on, there's rest that God can give you when you come into his presence. When you, come on, we have access to God's presence here today. You have access to God's presence. Come on there. For thousands of years, for thousands and thousands of years, there was no access into the very presence of God like we have today. It was reserved for a little tiny room inside of a tabernacle that moved around a wilderness. And then it was situated there in, in Jerusalem inside of the temple in the most holy place. And that was the only place where they could truly have access in the presence of God. Yet when Jesus came onto the scene, he says, we're going to do this differently now. I want everyone to have access to that kind of rest. I want everyone to access my presence. I want everyone. Come on, in fact, in fact, it's not going to be temple, one temple that you go to, but you are the temple. You are the temple of the Holy Ghost. You are the temple right here. I will come into you and I will abide inside of you. Come on, his spirit will come and live in you. And we are the temple and we have his rest right here. That's why you can feel it. Come on, any day you can feel that rest. God, when he says, when you come to me, I will extend rest to you. Well, but this isn't the end of the story. I want to, there's something more to this. There's something more than just a rest that God extends to you. I, I might call that the first dimension of rest. Coming to God, you can experience the first dimension of rest when you come to God. But if you continue in that passage, it says, take my yoke upon you. Learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall Find rest unto your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The second dimension of rest is not when you come to God, but rather it's when you yoke yourself up with God. Can I get two? Can I get two people? Zach, can you come up? I get one other. Sure, Brother Curtis, can you come on up here? Just, just, just stand right in the front. Stand up here. These guys together? Are they together right now? They're, they're standing together, right? And together could mean a lot of things. Together can mean, uh, right now, I would say that these guys are standing together, they're there. But they're not, they're still independent of one another. If you want to move this way, you can move that way. And, and no, maybe we would say, compared to what they were before, they're no longer together. Because they're independent. But if we come, you can just link arms with him. Link arms with each other. There we go. Now, if I move... Move over here. Oh, keep, keep, keep it linked. Keep it linked. There we go. Okay. Okay. Now move him over here, and he's got to move. 
Okay? Move you forward. You got you to move. You're moving together. They're yoked together. Now, now it's no longer just, just standing together and coming, coming up together and, and being in, in each other's presence. But now they're, they're yoked with one another. This is a, a, a farming term. You guys can be seated. Thank you. This is a farming term. This was a, a term when you had the oxen that were plowing the fields or, or the animals that were out there. And, and they had the yoke that would, they would put around their necks so that this team of oxen could go and plow the field together. They were working together, each of them playing their part. Each of them is, is going, and, and, and when he's speaking of the yoke, this is bringing that image of, of the, the, the thing that's joining these two together. And when one oxen goes, if the other oxen is, is, is uh, being stubborn, then it's going to affect both of them. The stubborn one's either going to get pulled, the yoke's going to break, or the one that's trying to go, he can't go anymore. Because they're yoked together. They, 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 they're not moving independently of one another now. And that's, that's exactly what he's, he's speaking of when he says, take my yoke upon you. Learn of me. Yoke up with me. Come and bind yourself to me. See, in the second dimension of rest, you yoke yourself up with him. Because you want him to know that you aren't just in this for the blessings. I'm not just in this to step into your presence and to feel some little reprieve of rest and then to walk away and then as soon as I'm out of your presence or as soon as I'm no longer yoked up with you and I've walked away, come on, that now I'm out here and I'm getting drained and drained and drained of all these things and yet I know that I can make my way back to you and I can come to you and that I can always find rest. God will always give you rest. Come on, you come to him, he says, I will give you rest. But there's something completely different when he says you yoke yourself unto me and you will find rest. It's no longer just some temporary reprieve it's not just a temporary reprieve of rest that you find when you yoke yourself to him the second dimension of rest is something where you are saying my soul my my will is submitted to the will of god god my will is no longer going this way and your will trying to pull me that way. But my will is completely surrendered to you. It is literally the submission of my will saying, my will is no longer going to fight against your will. And so my will can rest. It's not just a temporary reprieve where you are feeling the rest because you were in his presence, but now my will has been completely surrendered to God. And so my will has found rest. My soul has found rest. And I'm no longer, come on, going after the, my motives and my ambitions and my dreams and my selfishness and my pride, my arrogance. Come on, everything that I want. Come on, everything, come on, that could give me all the praise and give me all the glory. Come on, it's not about that anymore, God. All I want is the things that you want. God, wherever you lead me, I will go there because I'm yoked up with you. 
My will can lay, be laid to rest. God, I, I can take everything that I wanted to do. Come on, all of my sinful nature and yoke myself up, set myself up with you. And there I will find rest like I've never known before. Why? Because when you've truly yoked yourself up, yoked yourself up with him, you're no longer trying to justify all these sinful acts. It's no longer this battle of justification in your mind. And, and instead of sanctification, all you're doing all the time is justification where you're saying, oh yes, I know that I did this, but it's because of this and this and this and all these things that have been, that have happened to me in my life. And so God understands. But God says, yoke yourself to me. Come on, get under my will. Come on, leave your will behind. Let it die. Let, leave it behind. And let's go together. And your will, it can rest. Your soul can find rest. And no longer is it just something that you get every once in a while when you step into my presence. But every day of your life, when you have submitted your will and you said, God, no longer me. God, not what I want. But God, what you want, come on, this is exactly what John the Baptist did when he said, less of me and more of you. God, I want less of me and more of you in my life. He had yoked himself up with Jesus Christ and said, it's not about my ministry. It's about God's ministry. Come on. And so there's times when I may be wondering and I may think like John the Baptist. I don't know why I'm getting these, these, they're going through these things, but yet I'm in the end of the day going to trust that God is in control. It's not about you yoking yourself up with God and then everything's smooth sailing from then on. But yet, when your will is yoked up with Him, you say, God, no matter what I go through, God, no matter what I face, God, I'm still in rest with you. God, I'm not going to fight you on it. God, I'm never going to walk away from this. I'm sold out to you. God, it doesn't matter. Come on, because you gave your life for me. God, you, come on, everything that I have, it's yours. God, everything that I do, it's yours. God, nothing that you would ask me to do is a burden. God, nothing that you ask me to do would I say that's too much because God, I am yoked up with you in every single way possible. He says, yoke, take my yoke upon you and you will find rest. The second dimension of rest is something that you have never known until you have truly submitted your will to God. Until you say, God, all these things that somebody else from the outside may look at as a burden. God, it's not a burden to me. God, it's not a burden to me. God, to separate myself from this world, it's not a burden to me. Go and to make it my every, you know, every Sunday. I know it doesn't matter what's going on. God, I'm going to be at church because that's not a burden to me. A Bible study, it's not a burden to me. Uh, spending time with you in prayer, that's not a burden to me. (laughs) 
I know the scripture on a man and look on the outside, but God looks in the heart. That's true. But there's also, come on, some things on the outside that need cleaned up. And that's not a burden to me when God says clean up some things on the outside so that you can come to me and you can be a witness to me. When God says get rid of these things that have you bound, there's cigarettes that have you bound to them. You can't give them up because they have you as a slave. That's not a burden to me. It's not a burden to me to stop my sinful ways. It's not a burden to me. Come on to live. Come on in a lifestyle that would please God. It's not a burden to me because I'm yoked up with God. Come on, I made a commitment to Him a long time ago. Come on at an altar and I said God, I'm in this for life. God, I'm in this for life. It doesn't matter what you ask me to do. It doesn't matter what you call me to do. I will go because I am yoked with you and I have rest. Come on, you can find rest like you've never known before when you truly submit your will to God. When you get down at an altar and you say, Lord, today's the day where I'm going to stop the fight. Today's the day where I'm going to stop struggling against you when you call me to give something up. God, today's the day. Come on, there ought to be somebody right now who there's something stirring inside of you to say, God, I've got to stop because I want rest. God, I want you, Lord. No matter what it takes, God, I'll give up my will, Lord, to find the kind of rest that you can give me. Why? Because that's the rest that will end in an eternal rest. That's the kind of rest. It's not just temporary for this life, but it's a rest that will lead you through the pearly gates. Come on, it's that kind of rest when you've yoked yourself up with him that he says, this is for life. When he says, you can sit down. When he says, for I am meek and lowly in heart. There's this old proverb that says, if a man has to tell you that he's humble, he's probably not. It's not what Jesus is doing here. Jesus is not saying, oh, I'm the most humble man ever to walk this earth. I'm the most meek and lowly person ever. Jesus is saying is when you take my yoke upon you and you link yourself to me, I'm not going to lead you into paths of destruction. I'm not going to lord over you and try to bring you down. Come on and bring you to these places. Come on. He's saying, I will bring you along with me to the most glorious. Come on. To the most glorious things that you could ever experience. There's something so powerful when you link yourself with him. Come on. He says, I'm meek and lowly in heart. I'm not like these, these, these rulers that you see out in the, in the world. Caesar and those. Come on. And they say, link up with me and I'm going to force you to do this. No, he's saying, come, come. I'm not going to force you. I'm not going to force you to do it. You still have a choice. You can unyoke yourself at any time. All I'm saying is, yoke yourself to me and you'll find rest. God's a gentleman. He's not going to make you do it. He's calling you today. He's calling somebody today. Would you come? There's an altar waiting for somebody today where he's saying, come unto me so you can find rest. 
Won't anybody can come to him. Anybody can come to him, but not everyone will yoke themselves up with him. Anybody can understand that very first dimension of rest. But very few have truly understood the second dimension of rest. That's why many are called, but few are chosen. Many have felt that first dimension of rest. They've walked into the presence of God. They felt it, and then they've walked away. Not everybody knows what it means to just crawl up into his arms, to die there. Talking about dying to our flesh, letting my will, things that I want, to die and to say, God, I'm yours. It's like Isaac who crawled up on the altar. On Abraham, he didn't pick up his 12-year-old son and put him up on an altar. Isaac crawled up on the altar because he understood. I don't, I don't know that I understood, but he crawled up there and he says, God, whatever it is, your will be done. When you crawl into his arms and you die out to him, then when you do that, you understand there's so much greater things in store. It's not about me just being happy and following the pursuit of happiness in my life. God, it's not about what makes me happy all the time. God, I just want to follow you. Our musicians could come. Peter. Look at Peter. This man, he was a leader of the disciples. He was the spokesman. He was the one, the loud mouth. But he spent a lot of time with Jesus. He wasn't just one of the twelve. He was one of the three that was in the inner circle with Jesus. And yet, when the day and the hour came, they were there at the Last Supper, and and Jesus, he looked at Peter and he said, Peter, you're going to deny me. Three times you're going to deny me before that cock crows. Three times in the morning. Peter said, no. No, Lord. I won't do that. And yet, in the midst of the trial by night where Jesus is, is being crucified or being, being sentenced to a crucifixion, you have Peter hiding in the shadows. And you have some individuals who come up to him and they say, hey, you're with Jesus. You're one of His. What's the principle here? Peter was too close to not be connected to Jesus. When he was scared, he wasn't thinking right in the moment. He was out of line. 
But because he had walked with Jesus for three years and he had done more than just walk with him. Come on, he had tied his future to God's future. His passions were Jesus's passions. He had yoked himself to Jesus Christ. In one instance in this in this uh, time, it says that Peter was being accused of his association with Jesus because they said, your speech betrays you. When you you've been with him long enough that you talk like him. Let me tell you that when you have truly yoked yourself to Jesus, even when you get off track just a little bit and you untie yourself from that yoke, people will notice that there's something different about you. You don't belong in the world. You will never be comfortable living in the world after you've yoked yourself up with Jesus Christ. Come on, if this is you, look back and you say, come on, there was a point in my life where I was yoked up with him, but I'm not there anymore. Come on, God's saying, come on, you don't belong where you are right now. Come back, come back and yoke yourself to me. Come back to me. Come back right now. This is where you belong. We belong together. Come on, get your will out of the way. Get your flesh and your, come on, your appetite off the things of the world. And let's go and follow Jesus Christ. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah. Brother Stokely, I just love your worship. I am so thankful to see you up here dancing and shouting. And I know why it is. It's because you've yoked yourself to him. Because you once were lost. And you were an atheist for 40 years of your life. But when Jesus Christ got a hold of you, you said, God, it's not my will. It's your will. Come on, we need somebody to yoke themselves up. Come on, just like Brother Stokely has yoked themselves up to Jesus. I need a young person, come on, that will come alongside of him and say, I'm going to worship. I'm going to worship. I'm going to worship. Come on, I love when I hear the shouts of the saints in this place because God has done something for you. I love the dancing. Come on, I love the prayers of the saints. And why? Because I know you've yoked yourself up to Him. Come on, don't stop living your life in such a way that everyone can tell that you are different. Well, I wish... I wish today that our elders would link arms with some young person and show them what it means to be yoked up with Christ. Come on, come alongside them and show them. Come on, this is what it takes. It takes more than just coming to church. It takes more than just saying, God, I love you. Come on, it takes more than that. It's totally selling out to him yoking yourself to him I know you may say that sounds like a lot it is a lot but you know what it's worth it because there's an eternity come on that we're fighting for there's an eternity but somebody come on make their way right now to an altar come on will there be somebody who inside of them they would say God I need to put my will down once again God and make sure that that yoke is strong God I need to make sure that it's not loose in some way that it can be untied God I want to go with you wherever you go God I'm going to let go God of my burdens and my passions and my pride God I want you to take the lead Wherever you go, I will follow. 
Come on, I need somebody to come alongside a new babe in Christ. Come on, show them how to find rest. Come on, show them. Come on, it's more than just a temporary high. It's more than just that. Come on, this is true rest.